From the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, this is Politically Georgia. I'm Bill Nygut. Two major stories have dominated this week in politics. The horrific Hamas terrorist attack on Israel and Israel's response, and... I just share with my colleagues that I'm withdrawing my name as a candidate for the speaker-designee. The chaos in the U.S. House, which grew more intense when Steve Scalise dropped out of the race last night. I'm Greg Bluestein. We'll start today with a conversation with Georgia State Senator Russ Goodman, who is in Israel when Hamas launched its deadly attacks. The senator will share with us details of his harrowing efforts to return to the United States. I'm Patricia Murphy. I'm Pia Mitchell. I'm in my car on the way to the Capitol with Steve Scalise out as Speaker. House Republicans just aren't sure where to turn next. We invite you to get the podcast from Apple, Spotify, or whatever platform you use to find your podcasts. Greg Bustin, um, we're living through such a difficult and dark week in terms of the news that a lot of us look for just a little something to give us joy. Sports often does that, but not the Braves. You're a big Braves fan, and last night just kind of contributed to the dispiriting a mood we're all in. Seems trivial. It is trivial. But still, for those of us like me who are diehard Braves fans, uh, it was a it was a tough night after a really stellar season, 104 victories, best team in baseball, unbelievable offense that rivals the 1927 Yankees. And then, you know what? Those bats quieted with the Phillies pitching. So I, I wish all the best to the rest of the teams in the playoffs, but we got to move on. Patricia? Bill, I have to be honest, I fell asleep at 8.15, so I did not, I wasn't even tempted to watch the game. However, that Austin Riley three-run bomber is going to get me through the summer. I, I got so much joy out of that moment, and then the double play to wrap it up against the Phillies uh, in game three. That's going to, I'm going to be riding on the wings of angels. Wow. I always have that game. Wow, a genuine <laughs> baseball fan, it sounds like. Greg Bluestein. At least you have the University of Georgia football team this weekend to lift your spirits, you hope. It's not a bad consolation prize to have the back-to-back reigning college football champions going for a third in a row. Have you fa- have you faced Vanderbilt Commodores yet? Has this happened <laughs> oh, that's yet? Right. Don't speak too soon, buddy. Don't speak too soon. The mighty <laughs> Vanderbilt Commodores coming at us. <laughs> all right. Um, it, th- thank you all for giving us something a little lighter to start off today's podcast. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Tia, you're up there on the hill right now getting set to watch Republicans who remain in chaos. We effectively do not have a legislative branch of government operating right now. 
You're right. I mean, it is chaos. That's the best way to explain it. Um, it has handcuffed Congress from doing anything. And um, it's very problematic given these other things that are going on in the world, as you guys have been talking about. All right. Let's get right to um, the top story, which has been in the international news this week, of course, and that is the Hamas terrorist attacks, the horrific attacks on Israel. Greg Blustein, um, as as the week unfolded, you were in touch with State Senator Russ Goodman, who happened to be in Israel when the Hamas attacks were launched last weekend um, and then had to find a way out of uh, uh, Israel because commercial flights at Ben-Gurion International Airport were for the most part shut down. Senator Goodman, you're joining us right now from uh, your home, I think, in Homerville, correct? Yes, sir. That's exactly right. Good to be with you all today. Thank Thankful you. to be back in the United States. Yeah, thank you so much for being here, Greg. I'm going to let you, uh, since you've been talking to Senator Goodman, uh, uh, start the conversation. Yeah, well, Senator, you were over there on a you know on a personal trip, um, but tell us what it was like when you woke up, or maybe you didn't wake up, maybe you were already awake, and when you started hearing um, rocket attacks, but also small arms fire. You know, it's a it's a pretty surreal experience. Um, my mom and I, my mother is 74, and, and she went to Israel about six months ago, and it really uh, made a big uh, impact on her, and, and she asked me to go back with her, and, and I was excited to do that. Mom and I haven't done anything like that since I was in high school, and so we went with a group from her church. My mom has a place down at, at uh, Fernandina Beach, and uh, she attends the First Baptist Church there when she's down there, and went with that group, and, you know, it's uh, it's been uh, very surreal when you when you step outside your balcony in your hotel and you hear the Iron Dome rockets going off and and you hear um, you know automatic uh, machine gun fire uh, you know just uh, probably a couple hundred yards from your hotel balcony. Um, it uh, I hated the. I was glad to uh, get back to the United States, but um, I also hated to leave. I um, you know. Greg, I think I shared you shared this with you, but um, you just hate. The, I had you know friends over there, and but it helped me get out. Israelis and one particular Israeli stayed with me throughout the whole time. Um, our guide, he was uh, ex-military, he had served in the IDF, and um, you know he had rockets landing 200 yards from his home, but he stayed with us and stayed with me and and kept me safe and. Uh, you know, I felt I felt bad about leaving them. To be honest with you, I, there's a part of me, even though I'm old and wore out, that wanted to stay there and fight with them. You know, Senator, it's Patricia Murphy. Thanks so much for being on with us. Um, have you been able to be in touch with people in Israel since you have returned? I have. I've been uh, texting back and forth with with our guide, and uh, you know, um, I, I had so much support while I was over there. When when the when the invasion first happened. We all sort of thought, well, this has unfortunately become kind of normal, you know, where they uh, uh, Hamas will lob rockets across the border or whatever, and it quickly became apparent to us that this was not your normal, uh, you know, throw a rocket across the border kind of thing. And um, we had started out, we landed at Tel Aviv, and and we went up by tour. Uh, we went up through uh, the Mount Carmel and and went up to Upper Galilee and. Uh, you know, I was I could throw a rock 
actually and hit the fence at the Lebanese border. We were very close to Syria. And we felt safe as long as the fighting was, was going on in, in Gaza. Um, but there was a, a, a big concern with Hezbollah coming across the, the border from Lebanon. Um, we eventually made it uh, made it to Jerusalem, and that was when, when the, the war sort of came home to us. I uh, had a lot of friends. The Israeli government was really great. Um, uh, our friends in the World Jewish Congress, they had, they had pinged my cell phone where they could, they could track me. Um, they had given me instructions uh, to help keep me safe. Um, and if things were, were to get uh, real bad, um, that's the reason I had to have a go bag on me. They were going to come get my mother and I and, and get us to safety. Because, you know, in rural South Georgia, a state senator, I think, doesn't have much value. But apparently in the West Bank of, of, of Israel, I guess it does, and um, an American state senator anyway. And, but we... We went to the West Bank. That was, you know, talking about having your head on a swivel. Uh, that was a, an experience for sure. We ended up having to uh, had a lot of help. I mean, Delta Security Services, the governor's office. Um, I have a, a cousin that is uh, the head of security for Gulfstream. I was in contact with him, trying to. I mean, we were talking about. So all you were options. you were really struggling to find your way out, Senator. I, I want to ask you, if I may, please. So you're in Jerusalem after the attacks, um, in the heart of the Jewish people, Jerusalem. What, what, would, what were you seeing as you uh, talked to uh, Israelis in Jerusalem about how they were reacting to this horrific attack that unfolded in front of their eyes? What Was it a sense of shock all around you? Did you sense some resolve that people were angry and ready to fight back? What was it like in that sense? Oh, there was a, uh, a very much so a sense of resolve um, that they were going to defend their homeland. Um, you know, I, I was raised in a family where, um, I mean, I'll just go ahead and tell you, I was raised to my, my, I was raised to believe that God blessed our country and made the United States into a superpower um, in order to help bring Israel back to becoming a nation, and that God will continue to bless our country. Um, unless we ever turn our back on Israel. And that's the way I was raised to believe. And, you know, the bottom line is I see these protests going off across this country, and I'll just, I'll just be honest with you, it, it sickens me um, because the, the Israelis were protecting Americans and Hamas was killing Americans. Greg, you want to um, jump in? Yeah. Senator, you know, we see these, these horrific images here in the U.S. on TV. Um, we, we read about them. Y- you, you were there. Um, how does it make you feel when you come back home and um, you see this debate raging in, in our society, having having been there and having just seen a glimpse, right? Um, but, but you saw a very important glimpse of what, what Israel is going through. I'll tell you this. Um, I, sometimes I just, I wonder about, I wonder about people, you know, um, we've got, you look at the same people that came into Gaza and went into that kibbutz and were beheading children are the, that's the same kind of evil that 70 years ago, our grandparents fought against that they would rip babies out of mother's arms and throw them in ovens. And you have to, people have to decide, are they going to stand with, with good or evil? Because the distinction is very clear to me. Um, you know, I, I, I don't understand it. I don't understand where, where I think sometimes people can, can be so misguided. I can't imagine 
living. You know, you're talking about a country where uh, the entire population basically has gotten military service. Um, and they're surrounded by people that don't think they have a right to exist. That's and a, Americans really. I apologize. I didn't interrupt you, Senator. Finish your thought, please. Well, I was just going to say Americans a lot of times just don't realize how blessed they are that we've got, you know, we, we got two oceans that, you know, that, 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 that protect us and, and, um, you know, to, to live what they have to live with every day. It, um, it really gives you a heart for, for, you know, what, what they go through. Tim Mitchell, before we have to uh, move on, I know you want to ask uh, the Senator a question. Well, I, I didn't have a question, but I just wanted to make sure that I was, uh, able to tell the Senator that number one, we appreciate you coming on the show and we're really glad you and your family are safe. And Senator, one more Thank question. Sure. Sorry. Uh, one more question for me. You told me something very telling that when you left, when you t- took off from, from Jordan, um, that you felt a bit of guilt for leaving Israel in this time. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I did. I mean, you know, the Israelis are our closest allies in the, in the world. I mean, so many Israeli citizens have dual citizenship. Um, and I'm just a rural South Georgia farmer, but I, the way I, uh, I guess would liken it to is, is if your neighbor or your cousin down the road has a heart attack and he, he, he can't gather his crop that year, it's almost kind of like, you know, you don't go down there and help them gather the crop. I, I know that's an oversimplified way of saying it, but the point is, is that, you know, you, you want to stand by your friends and be with your friends and just, you know, those folks, they were, we, when we got to Jordan, uh, we were on our own, and, and while I was in, in Israel, I was I was protected. And you know, I I don't want to nothing against the Jordanian people or the country of Jordan, but I felt more safe in Israel with rockets landing close to my hotel than I did when I got to Jordan because I did, I lost my mother at the airport. That was, I mean, I think that took ten years off my life. We had to drive two hours through rural Jordan. Um, we we just didn't have the the connections uh, I didn't personally uh, with people, and um, you know, come to find out when we flew out of Oman, there was a huge protest going on while we were driving to the airport uh, where they were supporting Hamas, and it does it it um, it hurts your heart to leave them because you know what they're going through. Senator, let's make sure that we let people know that you lost your mother for a time being, but you are both now back safe and sound in Georgia. Yes. We are, yes, sir. We are. After 36 hours of flying, we were uh, we we're both back safe and sound in Georgia. And, and you know, I don't know why. I, I don't think these things happen for just no reason. I think the good Lord wanted me to be there to see what I saw and experience what I experienced. And um, maybe one day it'll be revealed to me. Hopefully, it will. But um, yeah, I just continue to pray with our friends in 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 Israel, and I hope that everyone will speak up and speak out against these folks that are that are standing on the side of the terrorists because make, make, make no um, bone about this. Uh, there is a different, there's a profound difference between people that are beheading children. There's a difference between those that were attacked and those that did the attacking. S- Senator, and, Senator, I, I don't yeah. mean, I don't mean to cut you short, but I think you've made a very powerful statement and, and I know we have to uh, move on, but we're so grateful that you're back safe and sound with your mother in Georgia and um, we so deeply appreciate your coming on Politically Georgia today. Thank you very much, uh, State Senator Russ Goodman. Absolutely. You all have a good day, and, and we appreciate you, and God bless you. Thank you, sir.
Patricia, I don't know how you could say it better than Russ Goodman did. We know that the situation in Israel is complicated. It's complex. The relationship between the Palestinians and the Israelis has for a very long time been extremely complicated and controversial. But Senator Goodman said it. This is not about two different sides. This is about evil being fought by um, forces that are trying to protect their people. Yes. And, you know, what a humble um, uh, person who has witnessed firsthand what is over there and uh, uh, didn't want to leave in a lot of ways, although he had to to stay safe. I know it weighs on him that there are people remaining in the region who are now anything but safe. Um, but we're going to continue to see images as this war spirals um, and looks like it's going to expand that are just heart wrenching and gut wrenching. And this will be a very difficult time for, for everyone involved. Guys, I was really uh, moved when he told me, and, he, and we've talked a few times while he was over there and he, he didn't want to, he didn't want us to publicize that he was over there because he is a high value target. He's a Republican state elected official. And uh, you know, when they're taking, when Hamas is taking innocent civilians and kids and, and, and grandmothers hostage, then you can easily imagine um, a state public elected official being taken hostage. Um, but, but he told me even while he was over there that he felt guilty about leaving. And he's someone who does not have a deep, you know, you heard his, he definitely has a deep reverence for Israel, but he didn't, he didn't grow up in Israel. He didn't, you know, he never served in the IDF. Um, but he wants to, he, you know, he himself wanted to stay there and do whatever it took to help the Jewish people. And I can say from someone who uh, also has never lived in Israel, I feel that sometimes too. You know, I look around my community and I know a lot of us are looking around at each other and saying, what can we do to help right now short of going over there and taking up arms and, and, um, and going to the West Bank? You know, I, I, Tia, I was thinking um, throughout this week about um, the first discussion that we had on the podcast and the day, and the Monday, or Tuesday after the uh, Hamas attacks. And you made an observation that I want to come back to for a moment, because I think as the week ends, it's important to um, to restate something you said. You, you said on Tuesday that um, you knew that um, Greg Bluestein and I were Jewish, um, and that you felt a little uncomfortable as a non-Jew about how much you could weigh in on this uh, uh, situation right now. And what I thought about in the aftermath of that was this is not about any longer. It never has been about Jews and the rest of the non-Jewish world. And 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 so I, I look back on that and I think I wish I'd said this at that time. This is not a fight just for Jewish people around the world. This is, a, again, a confrontation of uh, good against evil. Yeah. And I, I wasn't trying to, I hope it didn't come across that I was saying I am uninterested in the conversation because I'm not Jewish. But, you know, sometimes I feel like, especially with certain conversations, it's not a bad thing sometimes to cede the floor to the people who know it better than others. And I definitely don't uh, claim to be an expert on a lot of things. And I'm learning a lot about the Israel-Palestine conflict. Um, you know, that's why I think it's important for us to have people like Dove and um, people like Senator Goodman to talk about their experiences um, because it is complicated. And and the other thing that I think I'm learning this week as I listen to our conversation and others is it's a deeply emotional um, thing. 
And that's not surprising because, again, this is not just a nation and its politics. This is the ancestral cultural home of a people and a religion. And you can't separate the two from each other, but that's what adds to the complexity of all of this that's involved. And again, this is something that, this is an attack that happened by surprise on Saturday, but it's the latest tragic chapter and something that's been going on for decades and there hasn't been easy solutions. Greg, as we were sitting in the studio at WABE preparing for recording today's podcast, you got some news about Governor Kemp. Yeah, the governor uh, instructed the state treasurer to invest $10 million more in Israel bonds um, in a show of support uh, for the state of Israel at this time. Remember, the governor went to Israel. It was his first uh, time to Israel earlier this year. Uh, he led a state delegation to Israel along with House Speaker John Burns and several other political leaders and and, and civic leaders. Um, and you know, it's, it's the $10 million his office says is the most it can buy in bonds at this moment, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things, it's 10 million bucks, right? In a war effort that will, that will probably cost billions, but the governor said it's the least he can do to, to fight what he calls an evil, um, from Hamas. Patricia, I mean, I think that says something to us about the unity that we're seeing, certainly among most elected officials. We had a conversation on the podcast the other day about the fact that um, some of the elected officials who initially uh, didn't seem to want to go far enough in in supporting the Israeli people in their time of need, but said we need peace in the region. You talked about uh, Senator Warnock, who was booed at the Sandy Springs uh, rally for Israel and uh, he was booed because vi- I'm he, sorry, a video of him. I'm sorry, a, a video. prayer video Thank that you. he offered. Yes. Thank you. Um, uh, he he offered a prayer for peace, and and yet that was received poorly. Well, and I think it's important to add the context that this was not a statement that came out of his Senate office. Mm-hmm. It was something ca- that came out of his pastoral office. Um, I I think in the moment because other elected officials had sent in. Um, messages that were um, had more to do with policy and American policy toward Israel. Um, in particular, that prayer was not well received because it, it was not stating unequivocal support for Israel and opposition to Hamas. Now, that message was um, on his Facebook page that morning. So I think in the moment at that Israel, that rally for Israel, um, it, there were some people for whom uh, they did feel like it was problematic. Um, we do have that audio um, for people to listen to. It partially, it's a, it's about a three-minute prayer, um, but he uh, primarily uh, says he stands in solidarity with the people of Israel, with the mothers who are grieving a loss, um, and then also does uh, do a prayer at some length. Give us your comfort. Give us your peace, imbued with love and justice and hasten the coming of that day when all of your children will know that we are all children of the living God. Jews and Palestinians, red, yellow, brown, black, and white, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers and sisters to dwell together in unity. Help us not to give in to cynicism, not to give in to despair, but to hold fast to hope. We ask this prayer in the name of the God who loves us into freedom and frees us into loving. 
Greg? Amen. Greg? Yeah, Bill, just for some context, this is one of several statements, uh, either from politicians who were there or statements read or videotaped by others like John Ossoff or Governor Kemp um, that were given at this the, the pro-Israel rally, the, the unity rally for Israel in City Springs in Sandy Springs. And there were, I was in the room, about, about a thousand people in the room itself, and there was a stir, um, certainly when Senator Warnock's videotape message was played. But outside on the lawn, I was told by multiple people, including very close people near and dear to me who I can trust, who said that there was booze out there. Um, and you can see why. Look, on its face, calling for peace, um, of course, is something that, that, that should be valued. Um, but I think the critics, the folks who were booing him, who were very upset with that, were upset that there was a call for peace and for unity with Palestinians after a sneak attack that t- took the lives of more than 1,300 people, many of them civilians, and took on another 150 hostage. Um, there will be, I'm sure, other calls for peace to come. But right now, uh, the, the crowd was most visceral reacting to those who said, this is now time for Israel to defend its sovereign rights as a sovereign nation. Yeah. And Tia, I think this highlights um, the fact that Warnock does quite literally have two jobs, one as a United States senator in the Democratic Party and one as the senior pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church. Right. And um, Patricia, you noted that Senator Warnock, prior to the video, had put out a statement as a senator He put out a statement um, the day of the attack, as well as, I think, another statement the same day as the vigil. Um, And in that statement, which was from his Senate office, well, at least on his Senate social media, you know, Senate resources, he did condemn Hamas. But as this prayer where he felt he was coming from the point of a pastor, um, he decided to make it a little bit more about peace. And um, and I think what he thought he was doing was trying to provide some comfort in a spirit of calming. But I think that was perhaps incongruous to where the emotions of the people in the crowd were at that moment, which is understandable in a way, because, again, I think what I keep coming back to is how emotional this is for people who consider Israel not just a nation, but their ancestral and cultural home. Um, but at the same time, I think there are a lot of people who may not have as much of an emotional connection um, who say, what's wrong with the pastor praying for peace? Um, let's do this. Um, we're going to have a lot of time in the weeks ahead to talk about this. This weekend, in many ways, could be a very crucial uh, a moment in in Israel and in Gaza, the is the Israeli defense forces are massed in the literally hundreds of thousands along the border to Gaza. Every expectation is that the IDF will at some point have a land invasion. There are more than a million plus Palestinian civilians there. We're already seeing the bombardment and what it's done to uh, Palestinian uh, uh, buildings, uh, the rubble all around uh, uh, people, some of whom are living simply as civilians. Um, And we're going to get a scent of uh, whether there will be any shift in sympathy um, we are already hearing some of that from some people. So Israel is going to move forward, and we're going to watch to see how carefully they can prosecute this war and maintain the great, great show of support 
that they've uh, received so far. You're listening to Politically Georgia. We're going to come back in a minute and talk about the chaos on Capitol Hill. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants your rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Welcome back to Politically Georgia. We think the Morning Jolt newsletter sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You can join the community now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. You'll get six months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's subscribe at AJC. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts, so you will always know what's really going on. I'm Bill Nygut, along with Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, and Tia Mitchell, who joins us from Washington. Um, Tia, the week in terms of the chaos on the Hill has been really something to watch unfold. Patricia was jo- joined you up there on the Hill uh, for a couple of days, so you both watched how Republicans struggled uh, to get a, n- a new speaker elected. They failed to do it last night. Steve Scalise dropped out of the running, which sets off even more chaos up there. And And as I said at the start of the podcast, because of all this, we essentially have a non-functioning legislative branch right now. Yeah, it's it's getting to the point of we there's literally no path forward. So you had McCarthy. There are 221 Republicans. Eight of them, eight of the 221 did not support McCarthy. He's out. Then a week later, we have Scalise. Well, of the 221 Republicans, he only had the support of about 113. That's not enough. If eight can take out McCarthy, then having 100 not in favor of Scalise, that took him out. And right now, the question is, can anyone get eight took out McCarthy because you can only lose four? Is there any Republican in the House who can get the support of every Republican except four? Probably not right now. So now there's talk about what should be the Republicans' rules about picking a speaker. There's talk about negotiating with Democrats, which is, number one, very preliminary, and two, a long shot that that would happen. And again, we keep coming back to this. Gridlock, nothing is happening uh, legislatively. I'm sorry. Patricia, uh, the Georgia delegation has been split on choices for a, a, a speaker. Yeah, the Georgia delegation has been split just the way the House Republican caucus has been split. Um, I will say that I think that our Georgia delegation has been quite thoughtful in their approach to this for the most part. Uh, there are other members on the Hill who uh, their own colleagues say this, these people want nothing but chaos there. What surprised me so much being on the Hill is that there was, there is no value among some members to seeking, to finding consensus on this 
it is not the primary goal at this point. And let me talk about two quick structural problems that they have right now. Um, First of all, is that the rules that Kevin McCarthy agreed to have been left behind in his absence. It is now a House rule that there's a motion to vacate and you have to have the entire House, including Democrats, agree to eliminate that. So um, that is why he can only lose four people on this vote. McCarthy did that to the entire House in order to get the spot as speaker. The The second structural challenge, T and I have both been hearing about this idea of floating Patrick McHenry, who is currently the speaker pro tem of the House, Republicans say, hey, listen, maybe we can just pass a rule and let him bring legislation to the floor so that they can start to move legislation on Capitol Hill. The problem is that rule was modified after September 11th. Um, McHenry was appointed by McCarthy when he was the speaker on a secret list. And he's now at the top of the secret list as pro tem. He has only the authority to pick the next speaker, not to do anything more than that. I I want to uh, direct our listeners to your terrific column, which is online right now at AJC.com, the lead of which uh, you you say um, it reminds you up there of the Mickey Mouse Club, except the difference is the Mickey Mouse Club had a leader, Patricia. I mean, Mickey at least was in charge, you know, (laughs) I mean, and I was not I really had not included that line. Um, I don't want to be gratuitous and. Uh, silly in this moment. Um, However, after Steve Scalise was forced to back down, he's the number two person in the House. They've already booted the number one. Um, And Tia, uh, Scalise is very well liked on Capitol Hill. I I don't know where they go from here. What are you hearing? um, What were you hearing last night? Because you talked to a bunch of the Georgia members. Yeah, so to me, there was a couple of camps coming out from Thursday night's meeting after Scalise announced that he would no longer try to become speaker. And so they broke, I'd say, around, what, 10 o'clock? And um, I talked to Marjorie Taylor Greene and Andrew Clyde. Both of them are very much, they were in Jim Jordan's camp. They were among the Republicans who said they couldn't support Scalise on the floor. Um And so they want their nominee, Jim Jordan, to have a chance to get the votes needed to become speaker. But again, the question is whether he can, very unlikely. Then I talked to uh, Rick Allen of Augusta, and he was all he was a McCarthy guy. Then he was a Scalise, Scalise guy. So he's part of like the majority of Republicans who are getting frustrated that like if a majority of our party has a candidate, why wouldn't that person become speaker, which is how things used to work until about, what, 15 years ago or so. And quite frankly, that's how it's been working with Democrats. Um, And I think I want to get to the Nancy Pelosi angle at some point because she navigated this much better than the House Republicans have (laughs) these past couple of weeks. Um, And then there are people like Mike Collins, who he's so frustrated. If you're on... Uh, X, formerly known as Twitter. He's now becoming a must follow. Um, <laughs> he le- he did not attend the meeting Tuesday night. He was, I mean, sorry, Thursday night. He was like, I'll read the cliff notes. I'm going home. This is dumb. He's <laughs> tired of the gridlock. 
He's now making jokes about, you know, maybe we should just have a lottery and whoever loses becomes speaker. Um, he joked that he won't entertain any Phillies fans for speaker. Um, so, you know, I think he's sort of making light of it, but clearly frustrated. Greg, I want to go back to uh, uh, Tia's interview with Rick Allen, because I think in that conversation, he expressed something that a great many members up there on the Republican in the Republican conference are feeling. So let's listen to uh, Congressman Allen and then want to get you into the conversation, Greg. You know, I'm just uh, sad just very sad for Steve he and Kevin McCarthy I mean these people have given their lives to uh, uh, not only this conference but this country and uh, everybody has great intentions and and of course they had the majority vote and so you know if you don't rule by majority you're gonna have chaos Greg, I I know he's probably exhausted, but he also sounds rather emotional. Upset, exasperated, emotional. I mean, you can hear it in that great interview with Tia in his voice um, because majority rule doesn't is, is no longer a guiding principle here. Right. And so if you don't have a majority rule, if the if the speaker who wins the majority of the Republican votes in a in a caucus meeting is no longer the party's pick and that two or three or four or five uh, Republican members can hold basically the rest of their caucus hostage. And where do you have? And and what we have right now is what Patricia described it earlier as a headless monster. You know, you don't have a you don't have a direction going forward, and there's no end in sight. I thought Patricia, you made an important point when you said that you think the Georgia Republican delegation has been pretty thoughtful about this. I went back just to remind myself that every Republican in the Georgia delegation voted. Uh, no one voted against McCarthy as speaker. They were all united in sa- in saying they did not want him replaced. And that in itself was a reflection of a certain thoughtfulness on their part. Yeah, that's exactly right, because they all knew that even if there was some antipathy toward McCarthy, there was no plan for what happened next. After they got rid of McCarthy, then what they knew it was a blank space there was no plan and nobody was an obvious choice nor did they have the support to step into those shoes um, nor did they have the whip effort frankly to step into those shoes and assume the leadership position that mccarthy couldn't with just uh, those eight members against him um there there was no plan um and quickly getting back to the speaker pro tem concept that was designed for a terrorist attack or the murder of the speaker <laughs> not because a caucus can't get its act together and, and in this context while we are watching bombs drop on gaza while we have a government shutdown looming in the middle of november it's really hard to wrap your head around and tia You can feel these members ran for Congress. They do sacrifice so much of their time, so much of um, being with their own families because they really do genuinely care about the institution and to see their own party spiral. And now I think they're really worried about keeping their majority after all of this. I think they're worried for sure. Um, We saw Austin Scott. I didn't see him last night, but he the CNN cameras caught him and he talked. He said they look like idiots. That's very strong language. That's a lot of frustration coming out from someone like Austin Scott, who is the dean of the House Republican delegation, and he's you and he's pretty measured in his words. So I don't think he uses those words lightly. Um, 
it doesn't, again, to me, it's not just that it doesn't bode well in the short term where we talk about funding for Israel. We talk about a potential for a government shutdown in November. Um, we talk about funding for Ukraine. So those are like the short term headaches. But like long term, again, I, our democracy is really based upon agreements to follow the rules, the rule of law, to follow um, the rules of engagement once they're outlined as to how a body will move forward. And the minute you say, well, I'm, it doesn't serve me, whether you're right or wrong, I'm not making a judgment call, but the minute you say, well, it doesn't serve me to follow these rules, our democracy becomes very flimsy. Um, and, okay, I'll stop there. Greg, um, before we have to get to a break, let's emphasize something Patricia said. We have Americans who are being held hostage by Hamas. We've had Americans who've been killed in the terrorist attacks um, in Israel. And it, this is the moment when this country demands a certain unity. After 9-11, the Congress did for a short period of time, but they did come together. Mm -hmm. They recognized they had a role to play. We see none of that right now, and it's beyond dispiriting. It's just Awful. Oh, and by the way, the greatest, the biggest land war in Europe since World War II yeah. between Ukraine and Russia right now. Maybe our government can take a page from Israel's, which quickly formed a unity coalition. They hate each other, right? The, the, the varying parties of Israel are more divisive than our. Hard to believe the more divisive than than Republicans and Democrats here in the U.S. Uh, they are no. There, there's very few common threads they can pull upon, but uh, national security and safety. And, and anti-terrorism is one of them. And it's it's something right now where the people want a, a, a government that can function, that can govern, and they're not getting that right now. All right. Um, obviously, this is a story that's going to continue, and I'm sure we'll be talking about in the week ahead as well. Um, it's time for us to get to our final break today. When we come back, Shaney B. is going to be up with some of your questions from the mailbag, and we'll talk about who's up and who's down. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word ajc.com slash indictment newsletter. Our colleagues at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you informed in all the developments in the Fulton County case against Donald Trump. Now, the AJC is putting all of our coverage into one place, the Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. Sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's one word, AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. Welcome back to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Greg Bluestein, Tia Mitchell, Patricia Murphy, and I are all eagerly awaiting what Shaney B. has picked out of our mailbag, your questions. <laughs> Which, by the way, you can ask by calling the Politically Georgia podcast hotline anytime you want to. You can leave your question there. 
we'll play it back, or maybe we won't, depending on the question on, on the air. Um, but here's how you do it. You just call 404-526-AJCP, 404-526-2527. What do you got for us, Shani B? Let's start with the caller to the hotline. Carrie called in. She attended the Israel Unity Rally in Sandy Springs this week and had some thoughts. I read your article this morning in the Jolt, and I don't feel that you characterized um, Senator Warnock's remarks appropriately. I felt like he gave a very heartfelt and emotional prayer, and it wouldn't have been appropriate for him to condemn Hamas at that time. And I just wanted to lay that out there and um, hope you'll respond. Thank you. Carrie, thanks so much for the question. I, I think we read your minds because we brought, about, brought it up a little bit earlier in the show. Um, but look, in the jolt, we don't take stances. We just said uh, there was a tepid response to what Senator Warnock said because he, he didn't uh, uh, condemn Hamas at that statement. And that's what folks in the room and folks outside told me. I was the reporter who wrote that item. Um, uh, we, we don't say whether or not, uh, you know, those remarks were right or wrong, but certainly the crowd in there was was eager to hear um, what Senator Ossoff and what Governor Kemp both said in their statements and others who were on hand, including Mayor of, of, of Sandy Springs, Rusty Paul and Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens, who all were went much further in their words. But as Patricia mentioned earlier, the senator did on Facebook post um, a much sharper statement about what was happening, what is happening in the Middle East. Uh, and he was acting in that sense in the capacity as, as a, the reverend of, of Martin Luther King Jr.'s spiritual home. So he has to wear these two hats. He has to wear multiple hats. And sometimes it isn't easy. Um, it does point out to me, Patricia, that we are all so on guard for everyone to say exactly the right thing about any situation because we're all so polarized in so many ways right now. Yeah, well, I think also, you know, senators are going to be all back in Washington on Monday when they gavel back into session. I think we'll hear um, lengthy uh, words of support for Israel. Um, I'm quite sure that will be from a number of senators. And I think we do have to give uh, public officials time to sometimes um, get it right. I'm not saying that we're not got it wrong at all. Um, that's not my call. Um, but I think that it is over time as they continue to hear from their constituents and um, uh, want to make sure, you know, that they're supporting their constituents in in uh, any way possible. Tia, what are, what are your thoughts on that? I agree. And I think that it also shows that even those who are outraged about the, all of us are outraged, but even among those who are outraged and have that emotional connection, I keep going back to, there is no monolith. There, you know, there are people, um, as we accurately reported, who did want it, Warnock, in that moment to speak more forcefully. But there were also people clearly who heard the same speech at the same, well, the same prayer at the same time and had a different reaction. So, and, and I think we have to, as journalists, what we do every day is we try to make sure we accurately reflect both. Thank you uh, for that uh, uh, question, uh, Carrie. Um, I think it's time for who's up and who's down for the week. I'm really looking forward to hearing what everybody picked for this week. Dia, you want to start us off with who's down in your book this week? 
Well, I think it's obvious I'm going to have to go with Steve Scalise. I mean, being the speaker nominee for about 30 hours, um, that wasn't long at all. And he's got a lot on his plate. He's got a, a story to tell. And this is going to be another chapter in that book. But definitely he's down. Greg Bluestein. I mean, beside the Braves, and of course, you know, I don't even want to think about what's going on in the Middle East, House Republicans, I keep on going back to exactly what I said earlier, which is Patricia's remarks about the headless monster that continues to lurch forward without any sort of direction or control, it seems. The House, House, U.S. House Republicans uh, seem just a flutter, and they can't get their act together. And again, there's no end in sight to their, uh, to their disarray. Patricia. Well, great minds think alike. The House Republicans are also my who's down, hijacked by a handful of blabbermouths and grandstanders. Uh, I mean, I do think the pressure on them is becoming immense. They will find their way out of this, but the damage has been done in many ways. I'm going to take a different spin on that. I think the losers of the week, the people who are down most, are the founding fathers Article 1 of the United States Constitution uh, is the part of the document at the very beginning that establishes the legislative branch of government, and the House is uh, referred to first because the founders felt it was the people's house. They were going to be the closest to the people and therefore most responsive to what the people uh, needed. The Senate was kind of a distant second. So as I've said a couple times during the show, the legislative branch, the founding fathers thought, was the most important branch of government. And we're seeing right now that the House has not lived up, at least at this moment, to what uh, the founding fathers want. So they're down as far as I'm concerned. Tia, who's up this week? I wish you could skip me. I want to say Mike Collins' Twitter feed, but... um, (laughs) I just followed him, Tia. That's great. Um, I, I guess who's up? I'll say Hakeem Jeffries, because... He has 100% of support of Democrats in the House, which puts him closer to the Speaker's race than Steve Scalise. So um, Hakeem Jeffries is keeping the Democrats on one accord, and that is further highlighting the dysfunction among House Republicans. Patricia, who's up in your book? My who's up is um, certainly State Senator Russ Goodman, um, home safe and sound, um, also sharing a really important firsthand perspective and um, very gratefully came on our show today. I think it added a lot to the conversation. Greg? The Sandy Springs, the Jewish community um, here in Atlanta, uh, the the 4,000 or so people who showed up at the Sandy Springs rally at late notice, right, with with very little time. Um, It was an amazing show of strength and unity. Jews, Christians, Muslims, dozens of elected leaders. It's really awe-inspiring, and it it really resonated, I think, with our entire community. All right, so compared to you, you, Greg, I know this is going to seem a bit trivial, but not in my household it isn't. My who's up is my daughter, Emma, because like countless people who could not get tickets to see the Taylor Swift Eras concert Emma is going to be in a movie theater this weekend, finally seeing that three-hour Taylor Swift concert. And she's going to be joined by literally millions of people across the country. I'm going, but I won't embarrass her by going with her. So congratulations, Emma. I'm very happy for you uh, today. 
That's all the time we have for today's podcast. We're now releasing new episodes every weekday. So look for new additions to hit your podcast feed sometime around 1 p.m. every afternoon on your favorite podcast platform. All of that leads up to Monday, October 30th, when we will be going on the air Mondays through Fridays from 10 to 11 a.m. on WABE. We'll see you Monday on Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.